This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Yuri Kruman is an experienced executive, management consultant for Fortune 500 companies such as Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and some top VC-backed startups such as Maxwell. And he's got a book coming out soon. It's called What Millennials Really Want from Work and Life. He is a startup advisor and an official member of the Forbes Coaches Council, as well as a Forbes contributor. He focuses on the employee experience and HR transformation and change management. He's also got expertise in the customer experience and business strategy. Yuri trains clients and client teams on ways to maximize talent retention and learning and development using storytelling, branding, and personal development. And that's really where we focus in this conversation. We talk about how the trajectory of careers has changed, the pros and cons of career switching, and the effects of mobility, career mobility, uh, for individuals, for families, for communities, for society. But to start, Yuri describes his own remarkably mobile professional life. He's not yet 40, and he's had, as he says, five careers. And then he explains what he calls the four pillars on which you have to focus in order to align who you are with what you do. And he's learned these the hard way from his own experience as well as from research and evidence from other sources. Those four pillars, life mission, values, outcomes, and role. He describes these very practical guidelines uh, which derive largely from his own journey. But also, as I say, from evidence uh, from other from other fields and from research. So now, get set to listen and learn from a smart, well-traveled, reflective millennial about his distinctive experience and insights for work and life. It's Yuri Kruman. Hi, Yuri. Nice too. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it's it's really good to have you here. Now, um, you know, before we jump in, you're a Penn grad. So when did you graduate from Penn? Two thousand four. Two thousand. Two thousand four. So in that time period between then and now, you've done five different careers, if I count correctly. Is that That's about right. right? Yep. So a PhD in neuroscience you were pursuing. You, yes, you, you for one year. For one year. You, you studied law and you got a law degree, correct? I did. Uh-huh. And then you, you were in the world of finance and then mm-hmm. health tech startups. What, 
Like, what's the longest you were ever in one position? Longest in one position, I think it's a year and a half. So it's it's not something I would necessarily recommend to people, <laughs> but sometimes uh, life works out that way. It does, and it seems to be working out more and more that way for people in your generation. Do I have that right? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, had I mean, we just gave just a, a quick sketch. Give us the story behind that story in terms of how it took you, those experiences took you to where you are now and what you're what you're doing here right now, talking to me. Oh. <laughs> I always give a disclaimer, kids, don't try this at home. Um, so when I graduated uh, Penn in 2004, um, I had in my sights a PhD in neuroscience. I'd uh, done uh, several summers of research, so it just kind of made sense. I was, frankly, a terrible pre-med student and uh, much better at humanities, but, uh, you know, my mom is a, is a PhD herself. My father was an academic as well, so uh. in a way it was kind of, you know, um, I had to do it. I had to go into it or at least find out if I'm, if that's my way. Mm-hmm. Okay. In that first year, while I was uh, at NYU in the, the PhD program in neuroscience, um, I think it became pretty clear rather quickly that I'm just not such a good fit because, you know, I was kind of anxious just about uh, trying to solve a relatively narrow problem, you know, really for the rest of my life. You know, with perhaps some movement, but, you know, academia is such, at least in, uh, you know, the biological side of things where you have to pick a problem and stick with it. And and, and really uh, get narrow yeah. and focused. Exactly. So you, and, uh, you got bored or you weren't doing well or they, they told you you weren't doing well? What happened? Both. <laughs> oh, okay. I wasn't doing well because I was bored. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you don't do well for a while, they say... You know, you're you're just not a good fit. So it was was pretty obvious that you know I shouldn't be here. Now, how did you? Fu- so you got help extracting yourself there by just the signals you were getting from the people around you. Well, there's there's certainly that, but it was just you know plainly obvious that my personality is just not a good fit hmm. here, right? Okay. If you're going to be in the lab a lot, you know, twenty four seven or twenty four six, in my case, then you better really love it, and that means a lot of solitude, a lot of really focusing on one, mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned, relatively narrow subject. And that's never really been who I am. That's not what I did at Penn. I did uh, everything from a biological basis of behavior uh-huh. to Hispanic studies as a minor. Oh, wow. I did anthropology as a major. And, um, you know, I gave myself an unofficial course in film while I was at it. So oh, wow. it was never really in my cards to, to do one thing. So you've always been about variety in your professional life. I would I would say so. That's that's definitely an element of, of who I am and how mm-hmm. things make sense to me. All right. So 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 you moved from there, you 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 found a way out of of that. Somehow you reconciled that with your family. Yes. Just barely. It was a big uh, disappointment to my mom. She wanted me as a colleague, but uh, uh, things happened. So that that must have been difficult. You know, how did you yeah. work that through? I'm, I'm asking because I, this all leads to where, what you're doing now in the book that you've got coming out about what millennials really want from work and life, which we're going to get to. And I want to hear all about that. But I think your, your story is emblematic of what it is that you write about and what I hear so often from my students and clients. And so I, I think it's useful for us to, to dig in, especially like in your early 20s when you have to set out on your own and really break from your parents in some way. So what was the key? You don't have to give me all the details, but what was the key for your somehow finding peace with that choice to leave the PhD program with with well, your with your mother? 
I don't know if there's really ever peace mm. <laughs> after you leave the seat of academia. No, uh, all jokes aside, um, I think for my mom it was it was clearly a big disappointment. I think some part of her still kind of you know would wish that I would come back to academia. But of course, if I do that at this stage, it would be in a completely different field. And, mm-hmm. you know, why not? I'd love to explore that. Hmm. But um, when I left um, NYU after that year, in which I actually had started my first company, you're going to love this one. The, the company was called JuicyJews.com, of all things. JuicyJews.com? That's right. It okay. I, th- I think I've known a few of those in my day. <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> what the heck was Juicy Jews? <laughs> it was a Jewish social network. Um, it was kind of a mix between Facebook and JDate, and that was kind of the first I see. Uh, company, at least, that I, I'm aware of at that point that was trying to do something like this. So you must have had a smashing success with that, Yuri. Well, and there was a spike in traffic, and then uh, it died. I wasn't really, uh, let's put it this way, I'm not a coder. I put... You know, ah. Something like three thousand dollars of my savings into, um, you know, investing in guys in India building this, and they didn't really know what they were doing. And mm. I did, I'm not a product manager at that point, so you know, again, spike in traffic and it died. But so, you know, what if, I think if you go to that URL now, it goes to GDate. So at least. Oh that. wow! So <laughs> w- what did you learn from that experience? Well, what it gave me was the sense that you know I'm I'm owning something even if I have no idea what I'm doing it's mm. my thing it's my baby and I'm building it how I like and even though obviously it was a spectacular failure I mean I at least I have the t-shirts still from then but uh, I I knew that something in my future will involve building my own company the okay. way I see fit and indeed that's what happened so that was an important lesson even though a, a hard one exactly and so. That that got you to law school, Yuri. <laughs> well, I left. I left grad school, and um, you uh-huh. know the thinking at that point is still very much, you know, I'm a Soviet immigrant. Um, you know, to please my mother, I need a graduate degree. I know this this may sound comical, maybe like a, a sketch at a comedy club, but that's the truth. You know, that's what Russian Jews grow up with, and uh, you have to have that grad degree because you know mm-hmm. we didn't come here for you to twiddle your thumbs. It's not. I don't find it comical at all. It's a story I hear all the time, not just from Soviet immigrants, but from immigrants from all over the world who come to our great nation for opportunity and and, and advancement, and their parents have everything invested in them, and the pressure is incredibly intense. So I I completely get that. Definitely. And, uh, you know, at that point, I decided, okay, so I need to really, before diving into something, having no idea what the actual practice is like, let me go work as a paralegal. Ah, so in uh, the time-honored tradition of uh, what many uh, post-undergrads do, I went and worked as a paralegal for a year for a number of different uh, law firms, you know, project here, project there, and um, kind of seeing that, well, this is this is pretty interesting work. I'm, you know, I, I didn't grow up with any anyone who's a lawyer. In my family, everyone's either an academic or engineer or, you know, mm-hmm. my sister before me who's older, she went off the beaten path and got an MBA of all things. Oh, wow. A real rebel. <laughs> That's right. Real rebel. Exactly. <laughs> so for I... me, it was kind of bright eyes, big city. I'd moved to New York City. Obviously, I'd been already here for a year and uh, was like, wow, OK, this is interesting. I could definitely see myself doing this. Oh, cool. So so you saw that through. Well, at least to the extent that I got the degree, I got the paper. But um, Mm -hmm. as I moved through the actual experience of law school, I also realized about halfway through, maybe somewhere 
while I was writing my first novel, which, <laughs> again, the, the order of things doesn't always make sense in retrospect, but that's life. It um, is life. I, think I realized that, um, you know, as much, uh, as much as this field is interesting intellectually, I think that, uh, you know, the analogy that I give for what law is, to me, it's kind of like the cerebrospinal fluid. Right? It's everywhere, it pervades everything in the brain, but it's not the actual cortex. That's that's not where hmm. you know the substance, the meat really happens. And and for me, after this whole long journey, that turned out to be business. Okay. So uh I I want to hear more about what happened next because I, w- I wanna uh, make sure that we have the background, but I also want to make uh, it possible for our listeners to learn quickly what the essence of your message is in what millennials really want from work and life. They might be getting the picture from hearing your story, uh, but if you could fast forward us now through uh, so you know what you discovered about yourself and the world at law school, as you just described, it's the spinal fluid, but not the brain. Uh, th- you then found business. What happened next? Well, you know, after a long journey, which took me through finance and health tech to finally doing my own coaching and consulting practice, which is what I do now, I think what I realized is that I I need to do personal development and professional development on my own terms, meaning I have to own the process. Mm -hmm. I need to understand where I'm going, what is my life mission, and how do I pursue it, and in an obvious sense, how do I monetize it as well, because... After law school, I was left with a, a solid quarter million in debt. Wow. You know, kind of like a mortgage without a house. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so you entered the world of business and then health tech startups, and that has led you to realize that you want to be driving a business that allows you to help people to learn how to find their path. Do I have that right? Precisely. So my, my life mission after, you know, that rather circuitous path turns out to be helping others to find their life mission, pursue it, and monetize it. That's very much what it is. Uh, what's the essence of the advice that you give? And, and then I want to step back and ask you how you found this as your life mission. But wh- what is it that you tell your clients, uh, the people you speak to uh, in, on your speaking gigs and what's coming in your new book? What's, what's the big idea? The big idea is that before you can go and create opportunity or find opportunity, you need to understand who you actually are. That takes looking at four pillars. The first one is life mission, which in short is the specific intellectual problem that you want to solve over the course of the next, let's say, 10 to 15 years. So it's not too short term, not too long term. It's relatively focused where you're looking at that process as an owner, meaning in that period of time, I need to pick up certain skills, I need to learn how to put together a team, find the funds, create a product, get it to market, and um, you know, build on that foundation. Second is... So, uh, hang on, let me jump in here. Yeah. So, is this is this primarily for entrepreneurs, or does it work... Is that same question about life mission and the problem you want to solve, does that serve well people who are interested in, say, pursuing uh, creative careers or... Uh, maybe serving in government or being a teacher or uh, working as a consultant in a big firm? Does it, does it work universally or is it really only for entrepreneurs that you're speaking? What I found, and uh, this is from coaching um, something like 300 people, probably more by this point, in just the last couple of years, mm-hmm. 
is that this is both on business consulting and career change and pretty much everything else. I found that the foundation to that process is knowing who you are before you can figure out, okay, I, I don't have the risk appetite to do a business now, but in the future, what do I need to do in order to do that? Or let's say if I need to do a career change, I need to know who I am. So mm-hmm. before I just you know, make the change and sweet talk my way into something, I need to make sure that this aligns with who I am and where I'm going. Mm-hmm. This is universal, mm-hmm. very much so. Of course. So the second piece, uh, I want to run through this quickly. I know yeah. I have a lot to cover. But Go ahead. Uh, second is values. You have to look at the people that you choose to spend time with. So that might be, um, you know, certain friends or colleagues or professors, minister, rabbi, whatever it is. And um, you, you need to really distill what you enjoy about those people. So they may be kind, generous, hilarious. They might be brilliant in some way. Usually they empower you in some particular manner, meaning probably they give you unconditional love and they're not looking to be hmm. right about you. They just want the best for you. Mm-hmm. You have to bottle that and, and filter for it in every opportunity, whether that's you know a new job or a new business deal, even working with certain vendors, et cetera. That becomes a filter for how you analyze whether you should engage someone. So life mission and values as they are brought to life in the people that you surround yourself with. That's right. That's right. And uh, then we look at outcomes. Outcomes, this is not deliverables. This is not spreadsheets or reports. This looks at the theme of how you enjoy helping other people improve their lives. And then what does this mean? It might take the form of delight. Maybe you write music or code or poetry and you delight somebody. It might be curation, meaning you help someone choose from a thousand options because this one is the best one for them. It might be facilitating organization, meaning you might work as a financial advisor. You might help someone put together their finances. Um, it might mean, um, let's say, taking care of other people meaning empowering others, maybe you run a team, mm-hmm. empowering your teammates to do their last best work by supporting them in whatever way they need. It might mean that you're an evangelist, small e, which means mm-hmm. that you're persuading others to invest in you, to come work with you, advise you, etc. It might be a no-nonsense operator where you are executing a plan that someone else drew up on, on time and on budget. Or you might be, let's say, an each expert on the Saudi economy and you might light up if I ask you what happens uh, in Saudi Arabia because of fracking in upstate New York, things like that. And the last piece is role. So on, on outcomes, it's, it's, yeah. it's really interesting that you focus on the service component, like what, what it is that you're bringing to the world that creates value for other people. Do, is that right? That's right. Exactly. And d- before we get to the very the fourth of the four pillars, what is it that people struggle with in identifying outcomes? Like, where do you find people most stuck in being able to say, well, here's what it is that I'm trying to deliver? The most common bottleneck is that they see themselves doing all of those things in their life. And they're actually uh, probably right, because I deal with you know a lot of people that are very bright and very capable, mm-hmm. and they've had a lot of those things already. So what I do is I kind of force them to choose the main theme Mm -hmm. in in order to prioritize so that they know that, you know, this this vessel, this this channel through which their energy and their resources Mm -hmm. and their Mm -hmm. worldview 
goes through is is the strongest one. Hmm. Which which that, you, you had to one. do for yourself, didn't you? Exactly, exactly. Because you know, growing up, maybe it's uh, this typical paradigm. You know, oh, you're you're so smart, you're so bright. Look what great potential you have, right? So you believe you can do anything in this world, and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. you hit a wall of wait a minute. Actually, maybe I'm a terrible pre med, or maybe you know I'm no good at uh, calculus three, even though I thought I was I was pretty good. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and with with time, you really have to cut away the things that don't really no don't resonate with you quite as much. Yeah, and if you might be good at them. You do. And so that so that's the third piece, to really hone in on the outcomes that you're trying to bring to the world. What is the fourth of the of the four pillars? Role refers to role. what role, yes. Mm-hmm. That refers not to title, it's not anything about work per se. This is about what what do you do naturally, organically as a reaction to being thrown off balance. So I always give the the paradigm of let's say you're traveling in Morocco with friends and you miss the train and you get robbed by Bedouins. So how do you react? Are you the one who's running around and persuading everyone, listen, we have to do this, you know, give me your money, let's get the, the tickets on the next train. Are you the world's top most expert on Moroccan Arabic where you can convince uh, the Bedouins to, to put you up for the night? Are you the caretaker who's making sure everyone is hydrated? You know, are you the strategist who's figuring out, you know, the, the train schedules and how you're going to get out of there as quickly as possible? Uh, the things that we talked about in outcomes, mm-hmm. but not related to work. This is just, you know, pure life situations where your instinctive self comes out. And that kind of channel that we talked about where people are not always clear, that becomes clear immediately because you have to help. So, you know, where do you shake out? among those people. Hmm. So and, uh, both, both outcomes and role in your construction here have to do with the value you bring, that what you contribute to other people's world in some way. Is, do I have that right? That's right. And, and really the, the key here is not to reinvent the wheel. It's not to look for mm-hmm. some new you know, framework or, or some kind of uh, complex uh, construction. This is actually very simple. This is looking back at your life to date and looking for those patterns, looking for those signals that in retrospect, if somebody says, look, here, you're showing me the entire map. Well, here I see the the bridges, here are the tunnels, here are the uh, currents, you know, things like that. So that's that's really who I am. I'm kind of a almost a cartographer, someone who creates the right projection in order for each of my clients to see themselves in a new light, to understand the themes and, you know, but really, it's all about history. It's going back and looking at how did I react in those situations or who who is it? Who is it that uh, was influenced by me in the greatest way or hmm. who influenced me and how do I make decisions? How do I process information? And, you know, and how about the games that I like to play? Is that more word yeah. games, strategy, role-playing, et cetera, who influenced me? Hmm. So, so how do you help people with discovering their life mission, their values, the outcomes that they want to uh, pursue, and their role. Is is this, in essence, what um, what the book, What Millennials Really Want from Work and Life, is this what it's about? This is a part of it. What I'm doing in the book is actually, it's, it's a bit more uh, starting with the landscape of 
Okay, uh, there is the uh, data set that I've compiled based on my clients. Mm-hmm. There's my own story, what I've learned from it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have a bunch of different studies that try to describe millennial behavior at work and what what, what exactly, who are we, what are we looking for, you know, do at what age do we get married on average and what do we buy our first car and first house, things like that. So it's bringing together anecdotal evidence with my own personal story and looking at studies to really understand, to really sift through the noise. Because let's be frank, up to this point, if you Google uh, something about millennials and work and life, you're going to get, you know, probably hundreds of millions of entries of Google. So lots of conflicting evidence. I want to really get to the heart of what's going on. Are we really that different? And you know, what is it that's different? What isn't? What, what's the most interesting thing that you're finding in your, in your consulting and coaching work with millennials? Let's start just with, with individuals. Where, put, put it another way, where are you having the greatest impact? The greatest impact is clarity. It's really wading through a person's history and their, you know, uh, messy uh, work history um, and usually, you know, personal problems, et cetera, et cetera, to really understand the the most important themes and then packaging those themes in an organic, natural, intuitive way, mm-hmm. but in a practical sense to say, okay, well, you know, here are the things that, let's say, you should be doing in your career. Mm-hmm. Now let's figure out what that looks like in terms of title and industry. Let's do research on companies that align with your life mission and values, mm-hmm. and then let's get you calls and meetings and interviews in those companies so that not, it's, it's not that you're trying to impress them, just the opposite. You have now, after the four pillars work, you have a clear set of uh, reference as to who you are and where you're meant to go. And now every single opportunity that you create for yourself, um, and that doesn't mean that you apply to things on job boards, mm-hmm. you know, quite different from that, actually, you reach out to companies, again, whose mission and values align with yours, and you demonstrate that you've done your research on business need and that you're ready to help them. You're really excited about what they do, Mm -hmm. and here's why, X, Y, Z, and then you're ready to help them from the beginning. And that generates a conversation that might result in, you know, something that's like a custom role, or they might have something open already, but you're you're approaching it from a very different perspective because it's driven by you. You're owning the process. You know where you're going, and you know where this dream job or this dream role that you're trying to create or access how that fits into your trajectory. So, what is it? Plan. What is it about this approach that is distinctive from other offerings in the pretty crowded market for career and life coaching? Well, I can't speak for, you know, the tens of thousands of uh, career coaches and life coaches and, and business coaches and all of that. But the feedback that I get from a lot of my clients who've worked with other coaches is that, I mean, to be perfectly frank, they don't dig deep enough. They don't hmm. really take the time to understand who is this human. And perhaps they're not well equipped due to lack of experience or youth or something else maybe it's lack of perception, um, to really understand what is in this person's history that's a key to where they're meant to go. So mm-hmm. for me, I'd like to think, and again, this is based on feedback, not my own ego. It's it's really based on 
going all the way down where perhaps it's uncomfortable, perhaps the person is you know, mm. papering over something because they're used to being in a corporate env- environment, mm-hmm, they have mm-hmm. some sort of history of abuse or you mm. know, d- divorce in their family or what have you. There's the dark side. Mess, you, you get to the dark, ma- you get to the, to the material that is, that is dark and sometimes has like, shame associated with it. Exactly. And part of the reason why I do that is because I went through all of those things. Mm-hmm. I went through my parents being divorced. I went through being mm. an immigrant, a misfit. I was a Russian kid uh, growing up in Kentucky, of all places. Kentucky? And Kentucky, yeah. <laughs> How did you get from Moscow to Kentucky? Well, I took a plane like everyone else. Uh, no, but <laughs> very. no, my mom is an academic, so um, oh, okay. she came for a job specifically. I see. So we, we didn't, strictly speaking, come as refugees. Not so how many Russian Jews were there in Lexington, Kentucky, or whatever city you were in Kentucky? Yeah, in Lexington. A handful here and there. We uh-huh. found them all pretty quickly. So, And what was that like for you? Well, it, it meant that um, I really had to figure out my way pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. What do kids talk about? I mean, it's basketball country, right? So you've got to know all about basketball. You have to actually be able to hoop. You have to be able to play, right? And, um, you know, you can't just sort of be an immigrant kid among other immigrant kids. So, although of course, that's what happens. You had you to learn to, to go to your left. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, the, the joke is that uh, they'll, they'll, everyone's very nice and polite, but they'll stab you in the back. So hmm. you have to, you know, for me, I, I grew up with this kind of southern... Uh, sense of, you know, what it's like to be a gentleman. And that's something that also came from, a, you know, I guess more a family context as well. Hmm. But bottom line is I came with a lot of illusions about what life is like when I came to Penn, when I came to Philadelphia, hmm. um, you know, obviously a larger city and, you know, being classmates with a lot of kids that, let's say, went to prep schools on both coasts, very different kind of mentality. And, you know, I was used to being kind of a, I guess, a bigger fish in a smaller pond and then going to a place where it's obviously a bigger pond and I'm a much smaller fish. Everybody experiences that here at Penn. Everyone does. I know, because I've talked to literally thousands of students over my 30, almost five years of teaching here about that issue. So, So this is the kind of stuff you get into with your clients. Yep, yep. I use my own personal story and the mm-hmm. threads that I've discovered and, and packaged and repackaged every which way, you know, for different opportunities, careers, and so on and so forth. I used that ability to go very deep. I've always loved Sherlock Holmes and Agatha Christie, so for me, that kind of investigative approach is, is something that I, I really love. It's, it's really who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and then language and psychology are really the two lenses through which I see the world. So what, what I do to help people you know, whomever I meet in whatever context is, I really help them figure out the language in their own head, which, of course, relates to psychology and whatever they've been through. What do you mean, the language in their own head? You mean how they think about themselves, their identity, or or is it something? Exactly. Right. So how do they look at their own story and what are they trying to paper over? What are they ashamed of? Where is the area where there's confusion? Right, so trying to take off all these different layers and masks, and doing it not in a in a forceful way or through therapy. This is something that's really starts with my own story and showing that you know I'm very vulnerable. I've been through really bad things in life, and I've had to deal with them. And you know that's why I became a coach because there was no coach in my life, and I never thought 
that, you know, I didn't have the mentality because I'm Soviet by origin, that that's even possible because, mm-hmm. you know, self-reliance above everything else. Hmm. So how much do you reveal about your own story with your clients? I go deep. I go very, very deep, you know. Um, and if you, if you, you know, listen to all the different uh, podcasts I've done and talks I've given and all of that, I, I really... It was a strategic decision that I made that mm-hmm. I cannot hold anything back. You know, within, obviously, <laughs> within a certain thin mm-hmm. layer, because, you know, I'm a family man, there's there's a limit. But yes, there is. my personal journey and whatever I've been through, I, I share openly with people because, you know, over time, that's helped me to go through my own therapy. Of course, you, know, you have to. You know, and that's really the salve that I offer other people because I make them see that, you know what, it's not that bad. I'm not a special butterfly. Really, people, you know, lots and lots and lots of people go through these terrible things in life and acquire trauma and, and put on masks, and that's fine. You don't have to do that. We don't. We live in an age where the stigma of all that is, is pretty minimal by this point. Well, it's still there, Yuri. It, it is still out there, uh, and, and many people really struggle to to remove the mask and to bring who they really are to their work and to the other parts of their lives. That's that's an important idea for this show and has been for the four and a half years that we've been on. What would you say is the essential quality that you're trying to help strengthen in your clients and your the people you speak to and the, your corporate clients that enables them to find the courage uh, and the uh, capacity to 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 become more of who they are here to be? I would just say in one word, that's ownership. That means owning your story, breaking it down every which way. Sometimes you have to really, really break everything and look at the foundation, strengthen that. You were going to say more about uh, what the, the really distinctive aspect of millennial life. Could you just say a little bit more about what that is and what it means for people who are in the millennial generation, what advice? What's what's the particular advice you have about millennial life for millennials? Well, I mentioned the word speed, right? So speed, the flip side of that means impatience, right? I'm moving so quickly and I'm breaking things like Mark Zuckerberg. So it means you know the same approach with my career, which might even mean ghosting, meaning not even showing up. Right? Mm-hmm. I just saw something on LinkedIn today like that. So the the advice would be for millennials. You know, um, of course, there's an age range, but Many of us, a large proportion in the working world, are getting to a place where we're managers, we're leaders, we're expected to take on um, a higher level kind of role. So, by definition, that means you cannot just move quickly. I mean, you can apply certain principles that make work smarter rather than harder. You can make work flexible, which actually is what I found to be the key to millennial retention. You just you know, let them work in their pajamas from home at least part of the time. Mm-hmm. It's not about free food or gym. It's, it's really just let me maintain my lifestyle. Let me have my avocado toast if I have to, you know. But uh, essentially, that flexibility is what I found to be the key to retention. F- to retention. Other, so from the employer perspective. But what about from the perspective of uh, the the many millennial people who are listening to the show right now? What's What's the biggest piece of advice, the most practical piece of advice you could offer them? I would say slow down. Don't think that you're the smartest one in the room and listen twice as much as you speak because that's why we have two ears and one mouth. (laughs) Listen more. 
Hmm. Do you, is that because you find that uh, that that quality is lacking too often in in your millennial clients? I would say younger people tend to listen less. That's not about millennials mm. or Gen Zs or Gen mm-hmm. Xers. Before us, it's just a general state of being where yeah. when you're young, you're very you know cynical about everything and you think you know everything, and then you realize I don't know actually anything, and actually no one cares. <laughs> Uh, all right, I have one more question for you. Um, how? And this is a question I've been asking uh, almost all my guests this year uh, because I think it's something we need to be focusing our attention on more consciously and deliberately, and that is how do you bring compassion to your working life? Well, you know, if you can't be compassionate with yourself, then how can you hope to serve others? You have to start with, you know, healing yourself and, and accepting yourself as you are, and then, of course, trying to get better. But if you can't be compassionate at home with your loved ones and with yourself, you can't really serve others in the best way. So, you know, for me as a coach and consultant, I have to go through that process myself regularly every single day, you know, by practicing gratitude and doing my, mm-hmm. my daily routine and all of that. That's what gets me in a state where I can serve others because I'm aligned with myself and I can be aligned with my work. That is a wise, a wise sentiment, and I appreciate your sharing it with us, Yuri, and, and all your wisdom and experience. It's been a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for being my guest tonight. How can listeners find out more about your work and Master the Talk Consulting? First of all, Stu, thank you so much for having me on. It's been really a delightful discussion, and I sincerely appreciate it. For me, it's a closing of circles, given that uh, I went to Penn. Um, if uh, listeners want to find me online, they're, well, they're welcome to visit uh, masterthetalk.com, which is my coaching and consulting practice, and uh, also yurikruman.com uh, for consulting and uh, speaking engagements. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Yuri. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Stu. It's my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Yuri Kruman and that it stimulated some new ideas that you can use about your own career and the pursuit of what's most meaningful to you, as well as to the careers of others in your work life and in your life beyond work. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation about the first of Kruman's four pillars. Find a quiet spot and take a deep breath and a couple of minutes to just write a few sentences that describe your life's mission. What are you here to do in your brief time dancing on this beautiful earth we all share? Once you've done that, Tell someone, someone who might have some interest, what you wrote. And just get their reactions. What do you discover? I would love to hear from you. You can write to me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, or on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. And if you've got an idea about someone you'd like to hear me talk to on this show, write to me. With that suggestion, again, it's friedmanatwharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. 
This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.